And before I get into my message, um, I just want to say, um, uh, start off the year, I was praying, and I was really wanting to focus on, you know, like, God, what, what, what is the, the essentials? What is the, the, the essential of church? Why do people come to church? And some people come for different reasons, to get to know people, make friends, whatnot. But at the end of the day, the thing that, the defining factor about church, I believe, is that it's a place where people can know the living God, where we can come to know personally the living God. So my encouragement to you today is if you feel like you don't know God, you don't know Him personally, that can change. That can change. And it is a, a possibility. This leads into my word very well because today what I'm going to be speaking on is a four-step process to becoming a better Christian than the person next to you. Awesome. That's not true. I'm, I'm talking about... My message today is called the four R's of a transformed life. You know, I'm not going to tell you what the R's are yet, uh-uh, but basically what I'm, 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 I'm thinking is that when Jesus comes into our lives, when Jesus comes into our lives, transformation is unavoidable. It is inevitable and it's something that you have to be extremely stubborn to not go through. Who's a bit of a stubborn person here? So I'm a stubborn person. Everyone used to say that my wife was the stubborn one. Nah, actually, I'm so much more stubborn. I'm a bit more passive in it. I do it more nicely. But, you know, it's to, to not be transformed means that we actually have to be pushing the other way. Because... Faith is like a travelator. Who's ever been to an airport and there's a travelator? You stand on it and you're like, I don't need to walk right now. I don't want to. And you stand up and you move forward. You know, being a Christian, having the Holy Spirit within us is like that. It might not feel like you're taking steps forwards, but you're actually still moving forward. Because transformation is an inevitable thing that comes through Jesus. Unless you actively turn around and try and walk the other way. But don't do that. We're all adults here. So the thing about, thing about the four R's of a transform, transformed life is that when Jesus came from heaven to earth, we have to understand that he did more than just break the power of sin. So often what happens is we, we tell the story of Jesus and we limit it to the, the cross. The story of Easter and the story of the cross, his death and resurrection. And we say, okay, now it's finished. It is finished. He literally says that. But the thing about Jesus is that the spirit that lived within Jesus is the same spirit that lives within us. So that therefore means that Jesus lives in us. And that means that what Jesus did is possible today. The transformation that happened then is possible today. And it's more than just breaking the power of sin. There's so much more than that. Now the term, who's heard of the term Missio Dei? You know, there are some people, uh, it's in songs. Um, if, you, if you want to sound fancy, you say Missio Dei. It's Latin. Who knows Latin here? Just two of us. That's good. We can chat in Latin later. 
I don't know that much, but the Missio Dei translates to the mission, is the mission of God that was outworked through Jesus Christ. So in layman's terms, Missio Dei can be understood as that everything that was created by God will return to God. So everything that was created by God will return to God through Jesus Christ. So basically, you're on a travelator. When Jesus is in your life, you're on a travelator that is a one-way ticket to the kingdom of the heaven, the heaven, the kingdom of God. You, there is a returning to God. And so we have to be audacious in our pursuit of wholeness along the way. Why? Because it's good and well for us to return to God. It's good and, us, uh, good and well for us to go to heaven. But the whole reason Jesus came was to be an example and show us how to lead other people to God as well. So our returning to God, our wholeness, our pursuit of wholeness is supposed to include other people. So the person next to you, the person behind you, they are all part of your journey. And it says in Ephesians 3.20, I can do above and beyond what you can ask or imagine. So like I was saying, Jesus came to do more than just break the power of sin. And basically, your life pre-Christ should look different. Uh, so post-Christ should look different to the way it is pre-Christ. Why? Because you are transformed by Jesus. So the way you were, you shouldn't look the same on the other side. You know, and I'm not saying that you have to figure it out on day one. But what I'm saying is along the way, there is a change. There is a transformation process that goes on. A transformative process that is catalyzed at the cross and outworked within us by the Holy Spirit. So turn to the person next to you and say the four R's. The four R's. The four R's. R, 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 R. The four R's of a transformed life. True transformation only comes through knowing God. Yeah, it's, um, you can rock up to church. You can come and listen to the message. You can sing the songs. But if you don't actually make a step to, into the, the space where you know God personally, transformation does not happen. Because transformation is a personal thing. Transformation is something that the Holy Spirit does. So we have to know who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. The Hebrew word for knowing God, to know, is the word yada. Say yada three times fast. Yada, yada, yada. So whenever someone says yada, 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 it's because they're saying, I know, I know, I know. No, I just made that up. It's, but you believe me. It's, it signifies an incredibly deep sense of intimacy, vulnerability, and connection between two people. Yada. In fact, this word is used over 900 times in the Old Testament, including instances that describe how God, Yada, knows and respects us deeply. 
It says, be still and yada that I am God. Know that I am God in Psalms 46. And it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you yada know me. You yada know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Psalm Psalm 139. So the root of a transformed life is yada. Knowing God. The root of a transformed life starts in you knowing God personally. So if you don't know God personally, you can still listen to the rest of the message. That's totally fine. But I encourage you, make a step. Ask someone, ask for help. Say, hey, I know what you're talking about. I know the knowledge, but I, don't, I feel like I don't know God intimately, personally. I feel like I don't know God. Can you help me? And we are here for that purpose, to introduce you to God. So, like I was saying, yada is the root, but the four R's, R-R-R-R, are the fruits that come through the transformative process. So let's unpack the four R's. It should be on the screen. The four R's of a transformed life are redemption, reconciliation, restoration, and realization. Let's say that again. Redemption, reconciliation, restoration, and realization. And I'm going to go straight to the Bible to share a story that, um, that unpacks this really well for us. And it's found in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It's a story of the, pra- the parable of the prodigal son. Who's, who's heard of this one before? You know, it, who thinks it sounds pretty groovy? That's good. And it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. I have two sons. Very young, but none of them have done this to me yet. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Asos, Uber Eats, you can, you can name it, you know, Boohoo. Uh, just fast food. What's up, man? And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to, fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But... When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, uh, and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants over and he asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he, uh, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you, get, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he, was devoured, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your, bro- this your brother was dead and is alive, who was lost and is now found. Two things happen when we come to Christ. Two things happen instantly. We are redeemed and we are reconciled. Two things happen instant and instantaneously. The blood of Christ covers all sin. So things of the past, the squandering of wealth, all the things that we've done wrong, that is covered by the, uh, the blood of Christ, by his sacrifice. We were imperfect. We were tainted by sin. But Jesus' perfection is offered to us as a gift. So we can stand before God perfect. We are made acceptable in the sight of God. We are redeemed. And the second thing that happens is we are reconciled. The separation that sin created is bridged by the cross. We were far from God, but then when we turned to him, he came out to meet us and embrace us with open arms. We were once called enemies of God, but now we are called friends. So these two things happen straight away. These are instantaneous things. By accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Savior, You're instantly redeemed, made acceptable in the sight of God and reconciled. You're brought into a personal relationship with God that has no separation. It says in the Bible that there's no height, no depth, no no angel, no demon, no, no plan of man that could ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. So just to give you some good news, if you have... If you have brought Jesus or invited Jesus into your life, you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you have already ticked off two of the points on the checklist. So you're halfway there. You've passed. You've got a passing grade. Well done. That is good. Turn to the person next to you and give him a thumbs up. You have passed. You're reconciled. You're redeemed and you're reconciled. You're made acceptable and you're brought into a relationship with God. You're doing well. But there are two Ours left for the transformed life. And um, restoration and realisation are actually where I find most people struggle. And I think we actually spend the most of our lives within these two points. You know, restoration is a process, but it's the act or process of returning something to its original condition by repairing it, cleaning it, the act of bringing something back, something that existed before. This is a two-pronged pathway for us to discover and understand. When we turn away from God, we walk away from our share in God's joy. We become poor and destitute in our spirit like the story. And our soul starves. God embraces us, forgives our sins, and we are restored to the dignity of being a child of God. 
So that restoration happens, just like in the story. But there's also a dynamic of something that has been broken, being made whole once again. I just want a quick show of hands. Who here thinks that they're perfect? I've got a hand up at the back, guys. T has been working out. We all noticed it, T. You you have lost weight. You look good, man. When a car... I'm not a car man, but for this moment, pretend I am. When a car is damaged or derelict, the process of restoration is understood in simple terms. A restored car is an automobile that has been rebuilt exactly the way its manufacturer first assembled it at the factory. The thing about it is that we... It's not about just uh, putting a lick of paint over the top where it's been faded or replacing tyres. No, the process of restoration is actually a full-on process. It's actually stripping back everything to a bare shell uh, like it was before the process uh, of creating it actually even happened. Restoration, which is a process that every single person will go through, is a long meticulous and sorry to say a painful process if we look at the son in the story it says in verse 22 but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe so he put a robe on so what we have to understand beforehand was the son beforehand all he had on was he had what he was wearing when he was working in the the pigs the pig farm so he had nothing else. So what he had while I was working on the pig farm was probably, probably just a torn clothes, dirty clothes, smelling like manure, pig poo, all this different stuff that we, we would look at and say, nah, this is, this is not acceptable. You have to understand that when someone was a slave or a servant in the Bible, they didn't wear shoes. People who wore shoes were recognized as someone who was part of the family. But if you didn't have shoes, you were a slave or you were a servant. So he didn't have shoes on, so his feet were probably calloused. His hands were probably dirty. So in this story, he receives a robe to cover his old clothes. So we're like, sweet, I can't see your stinky clothes anymore. There's a restoration that's going on. Well, it's more of a restoring to a place of dignity. Then there's a ring that goes on his grubby hands. And what we have to understand about rings these days, uh, those days, is that um, when you had a ring, it, was, it usually had a mark on it. If you were part of a family, almost like a credit card, this thing acted as. It was like a little family emblem in there. What would happen is you go to a market, they would pour wax, and you would put your, your, uh, your family's emblem in it. And that's how you would pay for things. It's like, I'm going to put this on credit. Bam. You know, we have pay pass nowadays and things that, you know, like you pay with your ring. They were doing it back in the day. It's nothing new. So that was your family emblem. So you're recognized as part of the family. Then the shoes, like I was saying, was a recognition that you, were, you weren't a slave. So his feet were probably calloused. So he looked good for the party the party that they had then and there. He looked good because he was restored to his place of dignity, robe, ring, shoes. Everyone's like, he is part of the family. He is a son. He is a child of this family. But I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that once that party finished, he went and had a shower. Once that party finished, he went and he cleansed, cleaned his feet. He washed his hands. He, he probably shaved. 
You know, if he, could, if he could grow facial hair, he shaved. You know, he had to go through a process of the two-part process of restoration. God brings you and restores you to that place of dignity. But there's a place where we, the things we have gone through that have broken us, hurt us over time, we actually have to go through a process of restoration. Stripping back the things that hurt us and rebuilding us up. And like I said, it's painful it's long, it's meticulous. But you, anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ is brought into that travel later process where you're going through it. God will use every opportunity. He doesn't waste one moment of your life. He will use every opportunity to restore you to the way you were before. Your true nature, which was when we were created, uh, humanity was created, perfection. So there is a process that goes on. We see the manifestation of perfection in Jesus. We see that it's possible as a human to live a perfect life. I haven't lived a perfect life. I don't think anyone's lived a perfect life. But we can be restored. God is consistently restoring us. So like, like I was saying, because of Jesus, the missio day, what was far away is now being brought back. What was created by God has been returned to him. And like I was saying, your pain can be harnessed in the hands of a good God. Who's been through pain in the past six months? You don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to, but more rhetoric. It's you know, probably in the past week we've all been through some sort of pain or we've experienced something that is painful. You know, the struggles you have, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a mental health issue. Maybe it's just an insecurity. Maybe you just get really angry and you don't know why. Maybe you're just really, really sad all the time. These things have been, can creep in over time through our experiences, through the pain, through other people's actions towards us. But God will strip it away and re- to restore you to your true nature. Just to say... This, the saying that says it's just the way that I am is, is a lie. It is a negative thing and you just say, I, I can't change, it's just the way that I am. That is a lie. Let God tell you who you are. Let God tell you who you are. So, you might be here, you might feel broken, worthless, that you keep falling short. As long as you feel those things, that's something that God can actually restore. God can restore us if we have open hands and say, this is how I'm feeling, God, but I want you to work through this. Restore me through this. God doesn't stop stop taking the broken and returning to its true nature. And finally, realisation. The act of grasping or understanding something more clearly as to make real or give reality to a hope, purpose, plan. In verse 31, it says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. There's a point in time we have to realize if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become children of God. That means that we have authority beyond measure. That means that all that is, I'll say it, all that is God's is ours. 
It feels naughty saying that. But what does God hold back from His children? Nothing. God loves His children. All that is God's is ours because we're invited into that space, into that relationship. The thing is, so many of us live with, with this orphan spirit. What I mean like this is, it's almost like Oliver Twist. You know, he walks up, please, sir, more. We constantly live saying more. Oh, please, God, more. It's like he's, he's held back from us. It's like he's hold, held back from us. It says in the Bible that every good gift has been poured out upon us. So we have access to all that is God's, all power, all authority, all provision, all wisdom. We just have to change our mentality, the paradigm of how we think from being an orphan. Like the son, he says, comes back and says, I've sinned against you. Make me a servant. Make me a slave. And the father says, hold up. Yeah, you did that stuff, but you're my son. You're my child. We have to make that jump from orphan to child, from this place where we don't feel like we have access to anything, that we are not a child of God, to a place where we realize that God is our Heavenly Father. You know, at my house, I, get, I can go into every cupboard. I can eat whatever I want. I can pull out whatever I want. I can turn the TV on when I want. It's... Because it's mine. And it says here, all that is mine is yours. So we have to stop living a life where we're, we're begging at a buffet table that has been set for us. That we're begging for, for a, a gift that's already been given to us. I spoke about last week. Peace. We're looking for peace. I've lost my peace. Well, if we've lost our peace, it means we've lost Jesus. Or Jesus has abandoned us. That's, and that's not the way it is. We, we need to stop living a life where we're begging for scraps from our Heavenly Father and start having a naive confidence that says that, of course, my Father God will heal my health issue. Come on. Of course, my Father God will provide for my financial problems. Of course, my Father God will reconcile broken relationships in my life. Of course, God will banish the darkness from my mind. Of course, my Father God will. Why? Because all that is His is mine. Not by anything that I've done, but because He has called me His child. Like I was saying, don't live a day longer at a buffet table begging at a buffet table that was set for you. We need to start living a life as though we know God is our Father. We know that all is His is ours. We need to approach the, the throne of God boldly. Yeah? So, the four R's of a transformed life. We are accepted by God. We are in a personal relationship with God. We're being restored to our true nature and we are children of God and all that is God's is ours. Live like you have been transformed. Please close your eyes. We'll just pray. Father God, we just thank you that there's so much more to your love for us than we will ever realize. God, I pray where we have been broken, 
where we are living a life void of, of knowing you, that you would come in. We invite you into the spaces that we've closed off. We invite you into the brokenness. We invite you into the apathy. We invite you into the, the brokenness, God. We invite you in because we don't want to live a life longer, any longer, where we're begging for that which you have already given to us. God, I pray that we'll be bold, that we would have a naive confidence that says that you are my father and you'll take care of me. And God, as we, as we walk into our week, God, I pray that you just bring healing and wholeness in ways that we, we couldn't even think up. But God, I just pray that you would, you would just you would bring us into a place of knowing you in a personal, intimate relationship.